Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired Women Gathering Show. This is a show that talks about all things from life, relationships, spirituality, business, and everything in between. Women are so inspiring, living through their stories, finding resilience, resourcefulness, tenacity, and the powerful impact that we make in the world. I love connecting and having deep conversations, sharing with you the women I am inspired by and so blessed to know. My name is Dixie Bennett, I'm your host, and I'm a soulful women and wealth coach and healer, helping heart-centered entrepreneurial women heal their self-worth, embody their soul purpose, and create sustainable business with heart. And I created this platform to highlight amazing women who I come across and connect with. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. And I'm so excited for our guest today. Um, her name is Teddy Cutler, and our topic is about thriving through chronic illness. Teddy was born and raised by a single mom in Calgary. Alberta, Canada, with a bachelor's degree in nursing. She focused primarily on mental health and newborn care. After having her daughter, she founded a private nursing practice geared towards nutritional education so that she could work from home as much as possible. She at one point owned 15 revenue estate properties. She later went through a divorce and switched career paths to elementary education. Only two weeks before her second marriage, she was unexpectedly misdiagnosed with brain tumors. Only one year later, she underwent a heart surgery and is now being worked up by a specialist for a very, a very rare disease called vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Despite her chronic illness, Teddy is thriving. She is a self-published author, a podcaster for Talk With Teddy, and hosts women's workshops geared towards helping others gain a better sense of self-awareness and self-love and self-expression through a variety of healing modalities and tools. So, wow, Teddy, thank you so much for being here. You've had quite a journey this far. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor and a great opportunity to just chat. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. So you've been through so much and I, I'd love for you just to share. Um, let's just go right right to the, the topic. Um, Absolutely. To share with you a little bit about your journey of how you came to be to this point in your journey. I know. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, where to start, where to start. I have quite the medical background, not even talking about my nursing degree, just talking about my own health history. Um, so I had been through a divorce and I was, I was trying to get by as a single mom registered nurse. And I just started getting these awful, awful migraines, like, like debilitating, like can't get out of bed, have to stay in bed with an ice pack on my forehead, one on my neck and like stay in the dark room. And I was engaged at the time, um, preparing a wedding, maybe stress was a factor, who knows, it's probably a good stress, but um, I was getting these awful migraines. I had been into the emergency room three times already, and uh, I think it was the third or fourth time around. I woke up in the middle of the night, my heart started going like crazy, crazy high from just sleeping. It made no sense and my head was just killing me. So I actually called the ambulance on myself. I was alone with my daughter. I said, mom, you got to come and watch my daughter. I uh, rushed into, they took me into the Rocky View, which is in South Calgary. And uh, they were just planning on treating me for a regular headache. 
uh, or a migraine uh, protocol, which I had done three times already in the past couple of weeks. And I, and I advocated for myself. I said, guys, there's something wrong. Like you need to scan me. This isn't just a regular migraine. This is like, look on my file. You'll see this keeps happening. So the neurologist on call said, fine, just give her a CT scan, make this crazy lady happy. Mm. Um, so he did. And the scan revealed probably the size of my fist. I had a huge mass in my brain and then three other little ones. And so by that time I had called my fiance, Michael at the time and he came. So um, here's this poor doctor like saying he's never seen anything this big in his history. He's prepping the foothills to do brain surgery on me. He's telling us um, prep yourselves. She probably has brain cancer. This is what the life expectancy is like. Michael, you better start calling her family members. Mm. Um, so it was insane, Dixie. So he, I gave Michael an out. I said, you didn't sign up for this. I know we're planning a wedding, but you didn't sign up for, mm. for being with somebody that has, has this going on. Like who knew it would be this bad? So they ran a few more tests, which gave them a little bit more information, and they did an MRI, which um, shows a little bit more of the borders of this mass and, and just gives them more information about what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So it was a long four hours of waiting for the results. Um, like surprisingly, I, I almost saw it as a bit of an epiphany and it was in that, those four hours that I decided I got to write a book, like I have to leave a legacy behind, I have a daughter, um, what is life really all about? And I really feel that that moment has really created a pivot in my own life to kind of search for the better and know that we're really made for more. Mm -hmm. So the MRI results come back and it was actually, um, there's something called developmental venous anomalies or um, cavernomas. So I have this huge, massive, it's basically like a big cluster of blood vessels that shouldn't be there. Um, so I go and get regular MRIs done to make sure they're not uh, growing. And one of them puts me at a greater risk for a brain bleed. So I'm on like an anti-seizure medication and, and I have to be a little more careful. I do snowboard for fun, but I have to be more careful. I'm confident enough in my snowboarding abilities. I go when it's not busy. So I have to keep living life, but I do have to be a little more, more careful. So luckily Michael stuck by my side and he's been my rock and my awesome support system. He's such a good example to me. And that's kind of where it all started. Then we got married and about a year later, um, I was in Penticton with his family. We always go down for Peach Fest because um, he was born and raised in Penticton and then moved to Calgary later on to uh, go to university and stuff. Um, and I woke up one morning, kind of like the morning that the emergency room uh, came and or the ambulance came and got me mm -hmm. and my heart was going crazy. But this time it did not slow itself down. Like it was up at probably 160, 170. Um, Michael had an Apple watch at the time and I didn't so I put the watch on I was kind of monitoring it on my way to the hospital and they kept me there for a few hours um, and they were like yeah something's not right I don't think this is caused by your brain abnormalities mm -hmm. so I um, they they kind of connected with Alberta Health Services because I was in BC at the time and they got me set up with the Holter monitor um, for 48 or 24 hours I think it was 24 hours and um, yeah, so I 
had this whole thermometer strapped to me. I remember I'm a very open person. I posted pictures on social media and I was like this with this halter monitor all strapped to me. And I tried to do everything I could think of that would trigger this weird heart episode thing that I had happened ever since my daughter was born. And at this point she was probably, oh, maybe six or seven years old. So it had been happening for a while and I was kind of just brushing off the heart stuff. Like the head stuff was painful. Mm-hmm. The heart stuff, I could, yeah, I was short of breath and I felt like I was having a heart attack every once in a while, but that's okay, no big deal, right? So this heart monitor luckily caught a few episodes and they were able to diagnose me with um, supraventricular tachycardia, heart arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. Um, so a year after we got married, I underwent a heart ablation surgery to cauterize the electro um, circuit that was kind of misfiring in my heart. Um, so, so far so good with that. Um, and then as of lately, um, I've already written my first book, published my first book, thinking things are going to be fine now that I've had my heart surgery. And then a few years later, life goes on. I switched my career into education, a little less um, physically intense and mentally intense, if I'm Is being it honest. Though? I don't know. Uh, it's a different kind of stress, right? Yeah. So like working with babies, like you're dealing with little lives. And if you mess up, you're, it's a life um, where at least with education, it's, it's, yeah, it's still lives, but their lives aren't on the line. They're not. Like, yeah, I'd rather deal with a temper tantrum from a kindergarten kid than a crashing baby and having to do CPR on a baby. You know, it's just a different kind of stress. I didn't mean it that way, but I just (laughs) still dealing with kids and and more kids all at one time. I mean, just different stressors, right? Um, But before, I want to go back just a little bit because there's so much that you just shared. Thank you so much for that. And I'm curious, I would love to know um, like you have such an optimistic personality and I would say ever since I've known you, that's always been something that gravitated. Like you just, you radiate, you sm- and I've seen you go through your surgeries and you still are like, I'm here, I'm smiling, we're getting through it. What would you say is your biggest, helps you get through all of those times? Um, I'm a pretty religious person. I have a really strong relationship with my heavenly father or God or higher power. And I think I've always had the mindset that things happen for you, not to you. So I've never really clung on to um, the victim mentality or anything like that because that doesn't serve me. So I just always kind of said, okay, well, this sucks. Yeah, I have hard days. Like right now I'm still um, being diagnosed with a couple other chronic illnesses, which we can or can't go into. It doesn't matter to me, but mm-hmm. some days I'm flat out and I'm, I'm hanging out in bed and I'm doing my Zoom calls from my bed. And that's just the way it is. That's how my family knows it is. But you know what? There's always something to be grateful for. And I'm huge on my gratitude practice daily. And just knowing that I'm supposed to learn something from all of this and I'm supposed to be more or become more or be a part of something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. I love that being something bigger than yourself. Have you always known that? Was that something, cause you're very accomplished even to this point in your in, in stages of life. Um, what did, when you think back to childhood, what did you want to be when you were younger? It's funny because I've done one of those personality tests and it says that I'm an achiever. And I think that's always been 
personality, right? Like, I, I think it's the Enneagram one. I've done a lot of different, I've been fascinated with personalities and things like, yeah. and like tendencies and things that we're born with. So I'm definitely of that personality type that I like must like make something for myself and I must achieve something. And even on my bad days, I know I'll tell my friends like, oh, I'm going to do some women's workshops or like, Teddy, you're on a medical leave right now. Like that doesn't sound like much of a like relaxing, like stress-free thing to do, but that's just kind of, it's an innate thing that's in me. And I can't even tell you why it's just kind of always been there. Mm -hmm. So is it, does it come from a place to achieve something or is it more to serve? Does it come from serving others? Absolutely from serving others. I know in my first book and even in my second book, that's kind of the overlying theme to my life is as, as long as I can help somebody else, even if it's one person make their life a little bit better, then it's all worth it for me. That's why I started my own podcast, Talk With Teddy. That's why I wrote my book. That's why I'm doing women's conferences. I just want to be able to inspire other people and uplift other people. That's how I use my social media accounts as well. I just, um, there's so much joy in that. And I know one of uh, my church's leaders, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley, his wife passed away and he was like in his 90s, but he's like leading the entire church. And I remember his wife passed away. And um, there's a quote going around that basically what he did was he put on his shoes and he went to work. And that was his mentality. So that really stuck hard with me. Um, I think that happened in my teenage years. And he was like a big uh, main figure in my life that was influential to me. So I kind of have learned and, and tried to emulate that as much as possible. Yeah, life sucks. But when you look outside yourself and try to help other people, then your own worries kind of just melt away. and You don't have to worry about it for that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always go back to, I think it's the biggest thing, and I and I challenge myself in it too when I get lost, is I always come back to how can I be of service? How can I be of service right now? How can I be of service to others? And it doesn't always have to be from the place of I'm doing my business to serve others. It's just from who can I serve today and how can I serve them? Well, and you're such a great example of that, Dixie. Like you've got a Facebook group where you're you're inspiring me on the daily basis, and I see how many other women's lives you're touching, and in your own business, like you're a healer, and yeah, you're just a really good inspiration as far as helping other people goes as well. Thank you. I think that's always been something in my nature. Like I've always been that from ever since I was little, and and I've always been kind of optimistic in the enneagram. I'm an eight, so I'm I'm a I'm a born natural born leader and even though I don't want to be a lot of the times it's just like pick someone else why can't someone else take that role because you're just so good at it you're the natural <laughs> apparently I guess you know I don't know um but yeah no it's it's very it's fascinating um and I think just like when I look at you and I look at your energy like I've always just seen the light that you emanate and you know, we haven't known each other personally for a long time, but we met years and years ago and you've always been on my radar. Like you've always, I've always been watching and I see you pop in and out and I've kind of always had an idea of what's been going on with you. And so I, so I've been, um, not actively participating, but consciously participating, if that makes sense. Well, so I appreciate saying that because there's, there's, there was a point in life where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to lay it all out there and be vulnerable and be honest and open and let people see the real 
deal of what's really going on and half the time that's like guys I'm waking up with a migraine and this sucks this is the oil that I'm using or whatever it is mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you've been watching like I always do wonder hmm, is this really making a difference for people are people actually noticing mm -hmm. so it's good to hear I think that's well and that's a reminder because I need that too you know sometimes we're putting stuff out there and we don't even know who's watching there's so and social media it's not about I mean, the idea is to be more social, right? And hopefully we get more interaction and conversation going. But there's so many people who are watching from the sidelines that we don't even realize that we're impacting. impacting. And, and I get reminded of that too, you know, in many different facets where I've done lots of different things from corporate, you know, to being in my business now and doing other, serving on other boards and in other leadership experiences. And you just never know who that one person or that those five people who are watching from the back of the room um, or on social media who are following you silently and not always like, and I try to, you know, I do try to comment or I try to, you know, but you just get busy and you can't do everything. Um, but I've, that is one of the biggest things that I've always admired about you. Like I just see your light and even after surgeries, I've watched you bounce back. So I mean, it appears quickly, but I, I know it's not always as fast as we, it appears to others. And we do have those terrible days. We have the good days, we have the bad days. And I can relate on lots, I mean, different levels because I was a chronic pain sufferer and I suffered in silence because it was just pain that wouldn't go away and I couldn't find resolution for it. Um, and I have found alternative therapies and I have found, I love essential oils as well. And I think... You know, it's not always about just showcasing the happy aspects. It's showcasing the tools that you're using in this moment right now. Absolutely. And I know that connection piece has always been big for me too. So it was hard when I wasn't able to go to work and wasn't able to go to church or hang out with my friends on a monthly basis like I was used to doing. So um, I kind of spun it, like how can I still stay connected with people? So Facebook and social media has kind of been my my platform. Um, yes, the podcast um, helps um, stay connected, but at least through social media, I can kind of communicate with other people and keep that connection that I was so desperately craving in my life when my life kind of was confined to my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love that too. I think it's so inspiring how you created your business online from your bed. And it, I think it takes a lot of courage just to show up so vulnerable in that way that I can't get out of bed today and but I'm not I'm not gonna not be of service to the capacity that I can be you know and and as long as you're not burning yourself out right like just checking in on that um but I, I do know you know uh, and you and I've had this conversation too where I know some other people who suffer from other illnesses uh graphic designers brand like creative people who really suffer and I've hired some of them as well and it's been interesting where yes they're like Dixie I'm having a really terrible day and we're going to be working from bed today I'm like well we can reschedule they're like nope I'm here I'm, I'm in bed I've got my laptop I've got everything I need I'm like okay as long as as long as you feel good about it and I think you know we're in such a, a beautiful time and space where we get to co-create together um, and there's really no boundary that limits us from that creativity and from being successful and profitable. 
Well, and I love to hear that you're working with people that are dealing with things like that. Because I think one thing people that don't suffer from chronic illnesses or chronic pain is that we want to feel like we're useful. We feel super guilty when we have our days when we're stuck in bed. Um, I actually started a um, completely free um, Facebook, private Facebook group called Oh, what did I name it? Basically, it's like the social support group for silent sufferers, like something mm -hmm. fun. Because I love alliteration. So, oh, if anybody that's silently suffering, mm -hmm. it's kind of we get together on Zoom on a monthly basis and we talk about a little bit about our goals, how our month went, the good, the bad, the ugly, mm -hmm. and kind of what we're looking forward to doing. And it's an accountability group, but it's another one of that, that piece of connection that we're all wanting because it's hard when mm -hmm. you feel like you can't do anything. And I've been lucky that my family is so supportive like my husband went out and bought me a new laptop when I said I'm gonna write a book and I and like I'm gonna start a podcast he supports me and he buys me things like laptops or or earbuds or whatever it is to help me with these little endeavors because he's seeing that that's how I'm fulfilling my creative bucket and feeling like I'm useful in the world wow what a beautiful gifts well, gifts of creativity and then the gifts that just keep on giving. I'm a very functional gift. I, <laughs> I love purposeful gifts and quality time. Those are my love languages. Um, <laughs> we watch a lot of TV these days because that's all I can handle and it's the best. That's all I want out of life. I'm pretty easy to please, I guess. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think um but i i would i would really love for you because i love the story of you and your husband and how you met and i would really love for you to share that because i think again it's despite like regardless of what you're going through in life and i think you know again we have these stigmas that life has to be perfect we have to have the perfect relationship the perfect experience the perfect this and the perfect that and um and i love playing in the energy of manifestation and so I, I would really love for you to share that story because I just think it, it's such a beautiful story, especially the manifestation portion of it. And then, you know, just that, that whole beginning part, because yeah. it's a reminder for me too. you know, being single. And, you know, I think when we're ready to call in, you know, call in the one um, and just to be so clear in what we're asking for. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about his perspective and what he went through as well. Um, Cause I think that just brings so much more hope, um, in another way that it doesn't matter what stage, what age or what experience that you're in. It's never, it's never too late. So I'd love for you to share that. This is awesome. I, this is one of my favorite stories to share. And this is one of the reasons why I love Halloween so much because it happened at a Halloween party. So, um, just to back up a bit, I was separated. Now, um, in my belief system, in my religion, we're not supposed to date until we're officially divorced. And so I was not officially divorced. I was not looking. I think it's so important to start with that. I was not looking to date anybody. I was kind of keeping my head down and trying to handle working with this underlying chronic stuff that I didn't even know about at the time. And I brought my daughter to this Halloween party that we throw. It's like a family friendly and it's called trunk or treat. So the kids all run around the, the parking lot of the church and all the adults have the trunks of their cars open. It sounds really creepy when I explain it. <laughs> <laughs> we know everybody it's safe anyway so it's this trunk retreat and then afterwards we all go inside the building and have like I had to lead at that time like a little costume parade with all the kids 
And I remember seeing Michael's daughter. I don't remember seeing him because I wasn't looking, right? I wasn't looking at the guys. Like I was just being a mom and like leading the costume parade. Mm. I guess that day was October 25th, 2012, maybe. Can't remember the year. But um, he saw me and he asked a couple of people, like, tell me about that girl. Like, is she single? Like, there's something about her. And he had been praying. He had been single for five years, um, got out of a pretty rough situation where he was raising his own daughter, um, Ella, who's now my stepdaughter, kind of alone. And he was dating, a, a, I think she was um, a lingerie model or something like that at the time. So like he was doing okay, like living life, whatever. So he had brought his daughter to this same event and he saw me and he was asking around and, and in, his, in his own mind, he said, that's the one. Like, I know that's the one because I've been praying to know um, when I see her. And so he didn't even know if I was single or not. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't even talk to me. But that night he called up his girlfriend and broke up with her. Um, he was that certain that we were meant to be together. So that's kind of where it started. And then the next day at church, I still hadn't seen him yet. I was talking to a lady who's a second mom to me. She taught me piano lessons for 12 years of my life. And, and I think she was actually my mom's labor coach when, when my mom had me. So she's been in my life for a really long time. So I was kind of just venting and talking with her. And I said, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to find another guy. Um, at my age, like, like, especially if he's been married before, like I was bitter thinking it was always the guy's fault and whatever. I was kind of just feeling stuck and feeling kind of frustrated. And she said, well, Teddy, I actually know, like, I actually work with a guy that, um, he, he's divorced. He's been divorced for five years. He raises his daughter. And I know for a fact that he, he, it wasn't his fault why the marriage fell apart. Um, he's a really good guy. And actually, that's him walking in right now. And, and I see this, the, just the back of Michael. And he's got a little, like, tiny mini pink backpack slung over his shoulder. And Ella's trotting behind him. She's probably, like, eight, eight or seven or eight at the time. Because they're two years apart. My girl's two years younger than Ella. So uh, I was like, hmm. So that kind of planted the seed. And she's, like, a second mom. And I'm always seeking validation from my from my people that I hold closest to my heart. So that's kind of where it started. And, and he got going right away and started talking to me. And I kept saying, no, like we can just be friends for a while. So he'd bring over clothes um, for Taya because Ella was two years older, even though they were the exact same size. Ella's a tiny 12 year old and Taya's a, a, an average size 10 year old now, but they've always been the same size, which is fun. So the rest is kind of history. Like our girls think that they were friends first um, they get along so well, and Michael and I have both been divorced, and we both still deal with their other parents. We call them the others because it's from like the Alien movie, and it's funny. And we have a pretty, uh, pretty respectful relationship with both sides, and it just mm -hmm. it's a complex dynamic, but it works so well. We're both really musical, and mm -hmm. yeah, just it was meant to be. Mm -hmm it was meant to be and and it happened and Michael knew it before I knew it and it didn't take me long to figure it out okay this is this is where my life is taking me next mm -hmm. that's so beautiful did you ever think that you would get married again I don't know like I was in survival mode like I I left my first husband I was working independently as a nurse it was really 
a hard transition because I was a stay-at-home mom with Taya. So mm -hmm. she was two at the time and she was having a rough go of the transition. I had her most of the time at the beginning mm -hmm. and um, it was it was hard. It was really hard. So I was literally just treading water and trying to keep my head above water and just surviving. Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't even really thought about much like I know my aunt and uncle who are more like my my brother and my sister because we're so close in age they they I was over there one day and they put me on a bunch of dating sites and Michael even says to this day he found me on one and he tried to message me but I wasn't paying the subscription like I wasn't that committed to these dating sites so I didn't get the message yeah. isn't that crazy so one way or another, he would have found me, but he said that he sent me a message, but I couldn't read them because I didn't have access to messages. Well, that's the energy of Starcross Lovers. Yes, we were meant to be. Yeah, I was, you'll find each other. Yeah, it was very, very neat. And we just, we've been married now for almost six years, coming up on six years and yeah. better every year. And we've got our dream home that we built together and we've got a cute little puppy together. We've got some fertility problems with health issues we both have. Um, so we might not be able to have any together, which is a bit of a bummer, but mm -hmm. that's okay. I just watch all my friends, little newborn babies, cause they all know I love newborns so much. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes back to your nursing time as well. So tell me a little bit about your first book and just part of that, it, well, going back to the legacy that you felt like you wanted to leave in the world. So what was your awakening that that four hour experience while you were waiting for your results to, to come back? What was your, what did you wake up to? Like, what was the message that came through to you? I think just using my voice, like growing up and in my first marriage, um, both I could say were quite controlled by the people that I was with, whether it was my single mom just trying to trying to survive or my first husband um, without being too negative. It was a very um, situation where they're both very egocentric. And so I never really had a chance to express my own uh, opinions or wants or ideals mm -hmm. or needs or anything like that. I, I didn't know how to use my own voice. So that was the moment where I'm like, wake up, Teddy. Like you've been told by your religious leaders and all of your mentors growing up and stuff, like you need to stand up for what you believe in and you need to um, let your light shine. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to write a book. And honestly, my book, I've always been a huge journaler. There's something therapeutic about a pen to paper for me. So my first book is a two-part book. The first part is literally my journal excerpts from like when I started getting those migraines until about a week or two, no, it was about a year after my marriage. Um, kind of that whole range of when I was being diagnosed with all these crazy weird things. And I still have been diagnosed with crazy weird things even after my first book. So my first book, it was very, very vulnerable, very open, very honest, very raw. Mm -hmm. I was medicated heavily in a lot of it, but I, I published it anyways. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect writing by any means, but that was what I was going through. And those were my thoughts and my feelings surrounding that time. Mm -hmm. And my second part of the book um, was kind of the journey and the healing modalities that I partook of in order to heal myself, both like mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. There are things that I believed in because they worked for me. So 
that's that's my first book mm-hmm. and now I'm writing another book and it started when all this pandemic stuff started when we were all kind of stuck at home so mm-hmm. so stay tuned on that <laughs> yeah so what so what's the audience like who are the people that are drawn to reading your book the first one I find it's the same um, audience that I had listening to my podcast I would say women between the ages of 30 to 45 Mm -hmm. um, that want something more or they're into self-development like I am or they're into the kind of holistic um, ways to heal yourself whether it's essential oils or massage or Reiki or energy work or um, whatever it may be, um, maybe people that are spiritually minded, like myself, like you, um, that's what I'm finding. It's mostly women. And I never wanted to differentiate between, well, I'm only geared towards women, but that's kind of naturally how, how it's worked out. So that's kind of, and I think especially as women, like women who suffer with chronic pain, um, not to, I mean, it's just different men suffer differently than women. Like we have different pain thresholds we have different expressions different experiences and um and i know i like i find a lot of men tend to suffer in silence women do too and i I would say that i did as well but i was always seeking like i was always seeking and looking for okay well that didn't work what else can i try what else can i try what else can i try and and i think a big part of it too was also my path to, to personal development um where I was just seeking for answers. And, and there, I think there's just a big part of my soul that was seeking for answers, seeking for answers, seeking for information. I used to go to all kinds of alternative therapy or um, like trade shows and this and stuff that were before they were even a real thing, you know, and um, and I did a lot of it on my own. I did a lot of it by myself because I, I just wasn't getting the answers that I needed from anyone else. And I also lived alone at the time too, and I would work myself silly all week, and I'd literally recoup all weekend, and or even at night, like I just, you know, I'd just fight through it, and then there was times where, and then I would just crash, and sometimes I just tried to push it down and ignore it, but it was truly, it was really a secret that I didn't really share with a lot of people, Um, because it was too, it's, that's the suffering in silence, because it's not something tangible it's not on the outside you can't see it and i couldn't even i couldn't even describe it and i know for me a lot of my chronic pain was more emotional it was definitely a lot of stuffed emotions um and stuffed i didn't have a voice um i never felt like i had a voice either growing up or um and and I think it's lucky for you that you had a lot of people who were in your corner seeing you, supporting you, telling you to find your voice, kind of guiding you. And I always felt like I, I never had that. Like I, there was, I just didn't, I never really felt like I had anyone that had my corner that I could actually discuss things with or, or talk things through. So I think for my experience and my own evolution was more about seeking other healers seeking influential guides and teachers and you know Wayne Dyers of the world and just investing copious amounts of time in reading and um, I mean I've had lifetimes of experiences with healers and um, really cool cool groups and experiences that I've had and I and I think that's always often the big reason why people start looking for things is because they're trying to heal themselves Right? Would you agree? 
absolutely. And I know for me, I won't speak for you, but I, I wasn't aware of some of the emotional abuse that I underwent as a child or as a teenager or in my first marriage. I didn't understand what gaslighting was. And it's basically comes from a story back when um, a husband was slowly turning down these gas lights and dimming the lights. And the wife was like, oh, is it getting dimmer in here? Is it getting darker? I feel like it's getting dimmer. And he's like, oh, no, you're crazy. Like, it's not. It's not. But really, he was making her feel like she was going crazy. So kind of getting out of that and stepping out of the picture of my life in order to see the picture more clearly. Mm. I was like, oh, wow, that was that was happening. And I didn't, didn't realize that. But I was being told these stories about myself that I wasn't good enough, that I couldn't be a mom without any help and that I wasn't ever going to be a good enough nurse and all of these things that I started to believe. And it's really hard overcoming that. That's a lifelong journey of kind of healing from those emotional scars and those emotional wounds that we, we carry. They're heavy burdens. Mm -hmm. So what was, what set you on your path to a deeper discovery or more personal development? What was the turning point for you? Was it after your marriage, your first marriage? Was it during your first marriage? I think in my first marriage, um, as you kind of said in my introduction, we were big. We, we, uh, we liked going to conferences put on by Robert Kiyosaki. And mm -hmm. so I've always been a firm believer in it's really good to have multiple income streams and things like that. We read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We read Cashflow Quadrant. We went to all of those um, in my first marriage. And I love that bettering of myself in that realm because my first husband was also into that kind of thing and um, I was a full-time registered nurse with great credit so we were able to get a bunch of revenue properties mm -hmm. um, so I think that's where it started and then we started going to other events um, similar events like Millionaire Mind and, mm -hmm. and it was at events like that where I learned well I can write my own book and I can do this myself and I can start my own business that has to do with things that I'm passionate about not just real estate so I think that's where it started. Um, I didn't really go to anything as a youth because I didn't have the opportunity to, but I probably would have if I could have. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I was um, kind of on my own that I got more into the personal development and trying to heal myself from narcissistic behavior or emotional abuse or whatever you want to call it. And I started reading all the books and all the things. Looking back, that's why I went into adult psychiatry as a nurse, because I was trying to find ways to cope with my own um, things that I had dealt with um, that happened even before any of my marriages and things like that in college, stuff like that. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was just, just curious, because I think, um, so I was like, I think about Reiki, like Reiki came to me when I was 15. I think I was 15 or um, somebody, someone, I don't even remember who gifted me a book on Reiki. And it wasn't until I was in my probably late, when did I, I think it was late 20s, early 30s when I actually became a Reiki master. Um, but it, I just, when I look back, I look at the little seeds that were kind of dropped in and it's just so interesting to, to see, you know, what kind of, what took years later when we can actually see with a clear eye and a clear mind of, oh, that was something that was kind of planted there. Hmm. 
I don't even know who. Like, I don't know. Even my mother doesn't remember. She's like, I don't know where that book came from. And, you know, and, and I still have it. I still have it here. And, and I teach Reiki now as well. Um, but I would say Reiki chose me. I, and I've always said that. Reiki chose me. I didn't choose it. And even the other therapies that I, I do, uh, I got introduced to them. But when I... As I was healing through, it was like the perfect combination of exactly what my soul and my body needed at the time. And I couldn't have orchestrated it any more perfect than that. And when I decided to go back to school to become a practitioner, um, it was like when I was there, it was like I already knew the theory. Sorry, I knew the technique. It felt very familiar to me. Um, but it was the theory of doing, of why I was doing what I was doing. And so it just felt like it was a coming home. It was like a, an enlivening experience of I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And it felt so natural and it's always felt natural. Um, but just following that, that guidance. And it's kind of been the same with personal development. It's like, oh, there's this course. Okay, great. And then all of a sudden you meet all these amazing people who want to have, amazing conversations and so then I just got hooked um, and I've just been a personal development uh, conference, <laughs> conference addict definitely I mean I'm not so much anymore because I, I, I go now to events more for the networking yeah or I was going for the knowledge I was I was devouring the knowledge I was devouring the information I just there wasn't I couldn't get enough and I wanted more and more and more and I find it interesting even now you know people are like oh my god Dixie you should go check this out I'm like oh I've been there met him like 10 years ago you know and they're just like what I just heard about this person I'm like I've been a I've been a personal development student since I was in my late teens early 20s so you know right. I was <laughs> read all the books there's all of this information a plethora of information we weren't told as kids mm -hmm. out there and it's on google now like it's for free it's on youtube it's mm -hmm. podcasting like it's amazing and i'm so grateful for all of the knowledge and experience that other people have had to go through mm -hmm. created all this content and i tell that to people all the time like yeah i could be your personal life coach but i feel like all the information you need is within you like it's all there you just so need that's to the ultimate that's the mastery right and so that's that's the evolution of self-discovery and as we age too well i think it's a combination is as we gain knowledge um because we have to fill the knowledge we have to gain an understanding we need to understand um the tech technology the theory um the technique and then it's about just being it exactly and you don't know what you don't know. So you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. I absolutely just love, I learn something every day. You know what I mean? Like we're, we are beings that are meant to be continuously learning and continuously improving. Are we meant to be perfect in this life? No, mm -hmm. but we're meant to try our best and be made, we're made for more than this life. And we have so much potential within us that we don't even really realize. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just trying to unlock that and embrace that and love that because we all have different gifts coming to the table. I was meant to be a writer. You were meant to be an energy healer. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful. The gifts that we have been given mm -hmm. that we don't have to work too hard for. We just have to, you know, help other people. Being curious and being open to, open to receive the information because I know um, like I, I had three near-death experiences in my 20s and the th you know I, 
I, I always find it interesting hearing other people's experiences because mine was very different. Like I was sitting in the waiting room and I knew that I was on death's door, but the door wasn't opening for me. And I was kind of pissed off at the time. And I would say I was definitely more in a negative space of just not understanding what was happening. Um, but I also didn't have any answers and I didn't have any further direction, but it was just like stuck. And I was just supposed to stay in this space. And, and it took a long time for me to unravel that too. But I did know, like, I always felt I have a bigger purpose. I know that I have a bigger purpose. I just don't understand what it is. And I, I knew I wanted to be bigger, but I, I kept being put into these experiences where I was kept small. I was in a small container. And then I would ask, you know, I really want to grow or I want to do this or I want to do that. And they're like, no, that's not for you, Dixie. Right. So I was constantly hitting these walls with people that were trying to keep me in a container um, just because they couldn't. Uh, and maybe they saw something they just didn't know what to express or, or what to share or direction to put me into. And I think, you know, I think and, you know, this is to anybody who's listening, I think. You know, if you feel like you're hitting that wall, don't give up. Like that's the biggest thing. Just don't give up and keep keep looking, keep looking for your tribe. And I think that's the gift of today's day and age. We have so much information at our fingertips. And and I love like a lot of my clients are 50 plus and they were like self-help, secret self-help people. Um, and they just randomly happened upon books that gave them information. Um, they didn't have the great Google where you could go in and type something in and get information back. You know, libraries, it, you know, there were libraries and bookstores and um, like information was so much harder, even for our generation. Like I, I grew up with a library, you know, you had to go and actually check out an encyclopedia and reference and check everything. Um, there was, I wasn't until, I didn't even go back to school to university till I was in my 20s and that's the first time. I used a computer. So yeah, I mean, my, our generation, we're just babies. We're still figuring it out and we're still learning. Um, but the information that we have at hand now on so many levels, I mean, it's mind blowing. Oh, absolutely. Like if it's, it's a blessing. If people are lucky that they have Google, because you're absolutely right. That wasn't around back then. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I'm like, I know exactly what book, um, I was reading and I was with my first husband and it was called Life Shift. And that book had a huge impact on shifting my life. Interesting, yeah. hey? I, I couldn't yeah. it at the time, but it was called, it's called Life Shift. Yeah. Well, Just, it, yeah. it was all about the books, you know, it's that, and sometimes we forget about those, those pivotal moments, those little awakening, awakening seeds that were kind of dripped in. Um, for us to you know for them to take hold and then they just they flourish at a later time yeah this life is so beautiful and that's just it we're all on our own path and our own journey and and it's meant for us to walk and us to walk alone i'm not meant to be exactly like dixie and dixie's not meant to be exactly like teddy and that's the way it's supposed to be like it's, mm. there's no need for comparison or or self-doubt or anything like that because we are all different and we're meant to be different and we're meant to bless the world or bless people around us with our own light 
because we all have different shades or whatever you want to, whatever. <laughs> I'm not good with analogies, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I totally get what you mean. <laughs> so what would you say is your, well, what, what's, what's, where do you see your life going next? Like what are, I know you said you're writing a book, but what do you see your, your overall legacy as? Like, what are you hoping to build and leave behind for your children's children? I think like right now I am on a medical leave. I'm in education. Um, I hate saying this, but until or if I'm ever able to manage good enough, I don't see myself going back to that profession. It was too much standing up, sitting down, and I, my body can't handle that. Um, but I think the legacy I want to leave for my girls is they can do whatever they want. Um, I'm very of the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I call it a hobby, but it's more of a passion. Like I'll always be involved in a few different things at the same time. And that's the way I want it. You don't have to like fit into one little box that somebody told me, oh, you're supposed to be a teacher and just be a teacher. Like you can kind of um, flourish and grow different branches and that's okay too, because it fills different buckets within your own life, whether it's your intellectual bucket or your creative bucket. Um, I think as long as you're being authentic, and I think that's my biggest um, takeaway I could say that I would want to leave my kids is as long as the person that they're portraying and the person that they are wanting other people to see them as or the image that other people see them as, as long as that matches the inside and what your true intentions are mm -hmm. and what's truly on your heart, then you're, you're winning at life. So as long as they can find, whether it's a career path or maybe they choose art or whatever they do, maybe they're a stay-at-home mom, as long as they can find their own authenticity and love it and embrace it and be themselves while um, blessing the lives of others. You don't even have to try to bless the lives of others. It will just naturally happen and people will just naturally be drawn to the energy that you um, emit or the light that you give off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. What would you say is, what, what would you say that you've learned the most from motherhood or what has motherhood taught you? Motherhood is hard, <laughs> especially raising a toddler as a single mom with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome without knowing I had those things. It was hard, but it's a selfless act of service and your heart will grow so big. Um, man, I don't know what to say about motherhood. It's something that you can't really describe unless you have experienced it you want nothing but the best for that little being you can't even believe that you're driving home from the hospital and they're your responsibility there is no manual for it i mean you get a manual that's 20 pages long on how to put your tv together or your tv up and you get nothing for parenthood like what is that all about <laughs> But it's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I do feel like that's one of the main reasons that we are here is to raise these little babies and they're not truly ours. I don't believe that Taya belongs to me or Ella belongs to Michael or belongs to both of us. I feel like we were gifted with them to help raise them to be the people that they're meant to become. I feel like we give our children two things. One is roots and one is wings. So I'm just constantly trying to teach my girls to be independent and to get to know the real them. And it's okay that they're not the same. They're meant to be different and find their own passions and their own dreams and just help them achieve them. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you nailed it because that's the greatest gift that any of us can learn, I think, is, is roots. 
to connect in and wings to fly and to soar. Um, and, I, and to raise conscious human beings, to raise conscious and good human beings, I think that's the role of parents. I'm not a parent myself, but, you know, I just watch. I'm an outsider watching, looking in, and, and I always say that my clients are my babies. <laughs> well, it's true. Your mother and your clients, absolutely. Totally, yeah. It's all about learning yourselves. Like, my kids, we're a very special dynamic where we have them for a week and then we don't have them for a week. And I have no control over what happens when they're not with me. And I think that's a good analogy of life is that we can't always control everything. Same with chronic illnesses. We can't always control what's happening to us or around us, mm -hmm. um, but we can control how we react to it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I, I would say the biggest thing that my clients have taught me because no person ever walks in the door the same thing or the same, the same, cut from the same cloth, cut from the same experience. Yes, there's similarities sometimes, but every session, every experience is so different with every single person I find. And I, I think over the years, I've gotten more comfortable in, in finding the rhythm of just meeting people where they're at. I think that's always been one of my gifts. I've always been able to meet people where they are. Um, and I think now I just have more awareness of just meeting people where they are and I think and kids are so, like kids are so different they're not the same they're not supposed to be the same and you know and I always find it interesting when parents describe their kids as yeah they're like they're always surprised that they're so different <laughs> so I'm always curious like what do parents think do parents think that their kids are supposed to be exactly the same that they should be because like I, I brag about my husband all the time. I name drop with all the bands he used to tour with and open up for and stuff, but he's nothing like his siblings. And I'm not saying anything negative about his siblings, but like my mom would be like, well, how did you find Michael? He's just so perfect at this and that and this and that. Why do you think that is? And then I'm like, well, obviously it's nurture. But then I'm like, wait, but his siblings aren't like that. So it's just so true. Like siblings can be complete opposites. It's just, it's just unreal how we've all been with our specific temperaments and we're just mm. all so it's really beautiful mm -hmm. well I would say and I mean I wasn't meant to be a parent in this a, tr a traditional parent in this life experience and and I, I again you know I think my clients teach me that well just humanity humans teach me that um, and I love you know everybody has different temperaments and everybody sees the world through different lens um, and it's you know, I can teach people how I see the, th the world through my lens. And, and I find it interesting, too, because even some of my clients tell me, they're like, what would Dixie say or how would Dixie say it? And because Dixie looks at it through an optimistic lens. And they even say that to me. They're like, you're always so optimistic about everything. I'm like, well, I just have never, I mean, I can live in the negativity, too. Um, but I just I really try not to and I choose not to be there. For very long but it doesn't mean that i still don't live in it and go there for long periods of time short periods of time whatever that is um but i do just naturally have a tendency of looking at the world you know i'm looking at the cup as half full and sometimes half empty <laughs> you know there's no right or wrong to it it's just whatever at the moment but i've learned to let it go it doesn't i try not to define it too much Maybe I'm like that because my mom tended to see things half empty and I don't think she meant to. I think everybody's doing the best that they can with what they yeah. have and she raised me as a single mom and had to work full time as well and didn't have much support and things like that. So I think everybody's doing the best they can, but I wonder if in my childhood I thought, hmm, I don't want to 
think like that. I'm going to switch things and I'm going to have a different mindset. Don't know. Just thinking about it now. Well, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with some, I, I think naturally I always looked for opportunity. Like I'm an opportunist. I always try to look for opportunities and you know what, even just when I think back, I was just like, well, if this is the status quo, I don't want it. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to me. And I just never really went with the sheep. It was just like, I just can't stand it. I just want to be out on my own. I want to stand on my own. <laughs> I feel like we have so much in common and maybe that's why we like, we're on the same energy length. Like yeah. I was told you're going to be a teacher when you grow up. So I'm like, no, I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be different. And then like slowly I trickled my way back into teaching, but still I'm like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to like pave my own path. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because my dad said that to me. He's like, I would, you know, I really want you to be a nurse so that you can t take care of me when I get older or be a veterinarian so you can take care of my animals because I grew up on a farm. And I'm just like, Phew. No, I'm not doing either one. No, thank you. And then, I mean, I kind of adopted a different lifestyle in the healing arts still, you know. Um, but it's, I, I mean, I wouldn't change the path that I went on at, at any point. Like, I, I look back through every hard experience and I see the gift that it is and how it's molded me and shifted me into the person that I am today. I couldn't agree more. Like, yes, life has been hard and I've gone through a lot of hard things and people will always tell me that, but I'm kind of like, it doesn't feel hard though. Like, yes, of course you have bad days, but I do feel like I've, if I were to take any of that back, I can't regret anything that I've been through. I don't regret my first marriage because I got my beautiful daughter out of it. I don't regret um, suffering silently through all of these chronic illnesses because just now and I'm 35 I'm getting answers mm -hmm. and maybe there's no cure maybe maybe it's always going to be hard to manage and I'm going to have days where I'm stuck in my bed and working on my laptop in bed everybody knows my my headboard and the back of my uh, my feature wall in my bedroom really well because it's been on a lot of zoom calls let me tell you I think Dixie's even seen it a couple of <laughs> But that's okay, you know, like everything I've been through has brought me to right here, right now, and I don't regret a thing, and I'm grateful for everything that's been brought my way, even the trials, as weird as that might sound. Mm -hmm. And what about stepmotherhood? What would you say that that, that has taught you? It's funny, because you asked me how motherhood is, and I said it was hard. Stepmotherhood is harder, 100% mm -hmm. <laughs> harder, especially when there's another mother that you're kind of not competing with, but that's still in the picture. So it's very much, um, there's that stigma of the wicked stepmom, and I can see why it's there. Like, I know, like, my own daughter doesn't always have the most strong bond with her own stepmom, because in the back of my own little tween daughter's mind, she's like, you're not my mom, because <laughs> she's got some attitude in her. Yeah. But it's different. It's, um, I think Ella sees me as a bonus mom. And that's all I could ask for, right? Like, I'm never going to try to replace her mom. But she knows when, when she's with me, she comes to me for the girly things. And and Michael's always going to be the father figure. But I'm the one that helps out signing the agendas and helping when they, they have girly questions or they come home with their human sexuality homework that they need to talk to someone and she's more comfortable talking to a girl than her dad. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like, I, I feel like I got two for the price of one. 
without having to put my body through the stress of another delivery because I'm, I had a 50% chance of that killing me and I didn't realize it at the time. So it's, it's beautiful the way life works out. Sometimes I, I joke that, uh, Ella's more like me than my own biological daughter. We have a lot of similarities and Michael and I are like, you know what? Heavenly Father knew that um, we joke and it's not true because she loves her mom too and she's yeah. her life. But we say, no, she was meant to be our daughter. Heavenly Father just had to be creative about how she came to us. <laughs> mm. So it's really special and yeah, like she, we just have so much in common and, and it's a little bit more of a, I think she sees me more as like a... An older sister like it's hard to explain because I'll never be seen as a mother mm -hmm. but I think she kind of looks to me and I'm very influential influential in her life and she does try to emulate me in a lot of things and looking back I had a stepmom growing up and I did the same thing I looked to emulate her and so I like a lot of the same music that my stepmom likes and it's just interesting how subconsciously these things happen and you don't even realize it's happening but it's a lot of fun. It's a fun, complex, weird dynamic at times, but we, we do really well. I love that. Thank you for explaining that. I think, you know, that the family nucleus has changed so much over, I mean, what is traditional now anyway? I mean, everything, there's so many different people, personalities, expressions, um, color. I mean, there's, there's really... I think everybody just, we live in a world right now where everybody gets to express their own uniqueness. And it's, we're, we don't need to try to cookie cutter our way through life anymore. Um, so to me, there's so much liberation in that. And yet, you know, and I think that's a big part of what we're trying to cut through. And re, re I, I guess I was going to say reclaim, but it's not reclaiming. It's just re-identifying, I think, how we're meant to be in the world period absolutely and my kids are so used to this like they met each other when they were like three and five so this is all they've ever known like i i remember being a kid from a divorced family and thinking i would never want to go back and forth and here i am so many years later making my own kids do that but they love it they're used to it they're so well adjusted they love that they have two birthdays and two christmases and you know what I mean? So they, they kind of laugh that some of their friends don't know what it means to have a stepmom or a half sibling or anything like that. Um, Cause my daughter has half siblings when she's with her dad. So it's just all this new lingo and it's just different dynamics everywhere. And it is what it is. Right. I think it teaches adaptability for everybody on every level. Oh, it's made them so resilient and they really do so well like we had a lot of issues with Ella when we first got together we lived in my little tiny condo in Bridgeland a two-bedroom condo and her and Taya had to share a room and she's an introvert and Taya my daughter's very extroverted and very talkative yappy little girl who wears her heart on her sleeve and Ella's a lot like her dad they're the artistic mindset right brains they kind of hold things in and like need time alone to decompress and like this poor little girl is having to share a room with my daughter on bunk beds for the first couple of years of her marriage and she struggled like we had issues with her with anxiety but man I feel like I can't regret that at all because they're so close now and I'm so glad they have each other um, to fall upon and they tell each other things that they don't even tell us and I'm a-okay with that. Like as long as they have each other, they know where they're at because they're both in the same situation, right? It's powerful. 
Well, thank you so much. We're just at the end of our time here. And I, do you have anything else that you'd like to wrap up and, and just kind of finish off by sharing today? Oh, thanks. So Dixie, I just really appreciate the opportunity and I look to you all the time and I think you're such a great leader in your field and I'm just excited to see what you come up with next and, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors as well. I know we'll stay connected. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. And yes, I'm looking forward to continue connecting with you and following you and seeing what you're, what you're up to and what you're putting out. And um, thank you so much for being with us today and just sharing your heart and just sharing a little bit more about what makes you so resilient. And as I mentioned before, you know, you definitely are a woman of inspiration for me. And, you know, I just... Um, and I hope it can be inspirational for others too. I hope that our, our watchers and listeners um, can take away some really beautiful content from today. I think we covered a lot of beautiful ground. And, um, and if you want to connect with uh, Teddy, you can follow her on her Instagram account at Be A Little Bit Better. And I know you mentioned your Facebook group. Do you want to say that one again? It's just Teddy Cutler. I have a, a public Facebook page people can like that's separate from um, my personal. What was the group? You mentioned that there was a group about oh, um, suffering in silence? Support group for silent sufferers. Right. So if you're suffering in chronic pain and you're looking for a group or you're looking for other women to connect with, um, I, th I wish I had that support years ago when I was suffering in silence. And I think... You know, that's the biggest thing is to find support and to find people who really get you because especially dealing with chronic pain, it's hard to hard to find people in the outside world who can really identify with what you're going through and a support community um, is the best thing, you know, to find people who hear you, who see you, who understand you. So thank you, Teddy, for um, creating that and, and having that support group. I think it's amazing. So I'll also post her links in the bottom of the show notes as well. So you can uh, just click on her links from there. And uh, thank you again. I just love our time together and love our conversations. They're always so in alignment, um, which I always love. And to our viewers, you know, please post, comment, like, and share. And, um, and of course, we appreciate you. And until next time, um, bring light hope and love to the world and abundant love. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thank you.